0: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir, it's Heretic Happy Hour.
1: Well, well, well. Welcome, my heretical friends, to another episode of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, uh, I am one of your two hosts today. Um, my name is Keith Giles. I'm the author of several books, including uh, Jesus, Undefeated, uh, condemning the false doctrine of eternal torment. And I am joined by my co-host Matt DiStefano. Matt, say howdy.
2: Hi, friends. It's uh, it's Matt. We're here for another episode. And yeah, I hope I uh, I hope I have enough energy for everyone today. Um, <laughs> Feeling pretty good about things, but not really. But yeah. Uh, yeah, we're here. We're here anyway for another episode, one way or another. Uh, <laughs> but before we get into that, uh, we do have a sponsor. And even though I'm low energy right now, I am excited about Wild Foods. Check out their website at wildfoods.co because they have awesome adaptogenic mushrooms. They have superfoods. They have uh, matcha. They got protein powder and all that good stuff sourced from small farms. No artificial flavorings ever, yada, yada, yada. Just make sure you check out their site, wildfoods.co. If you like what they have, you want to try them out. Please use promo code Happy Hour 12 for 12% off your order. That is Happy Hour, the digits one, two, for 12% off your order. And maybe if you take some of those uh, cordyceps mushrooms, you'll have more energy than I do right now. You'll feel better about life. So go do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 It just feels like the room's a little, um, a little bigger than it used to be. I don't know. It's uh, something different. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, uh, I guess that means it's my, my job now to let everyone, all of our listeners know um, that we have something that I believe pretty much no other podcast in the world has to offer. And uh, it's something we're excited about. And that is a hotline because, you know, sometimes you're driving down the road, you just have a heretical thought or a question. And you're like, you know what? I wonder what those guys think. And you want to be able to reach out and, uh, you know, ask your question. And you can even text it to us if you want, but make sure you're not driving. And we would, um, if, if you ever want to call us or talk to us, now we probably won't answer the phone. Uh, we have a, an army of operators uh, standing by, uh, but you can text us or you can leave a voice message at uh, 240-343-HERESY, or 240 343 and I do believe we have a voicemail. So cue that. up.
3: Hey guys, my name is Jim Myers. I'm a big fan. Thank you for what you guys have been doing for several years now, and uh, I've been going through deconstruction for a while myself. But my reason for calling is uh probably unique to any call you've had. Um, I am considered by some believers to be a heretic because uh I am a an avid Bigfoot researcher I own a store called the Sasquatch Outpost in Bailey, Colorado and we have a museum devoted to the topic of Sasquatch and I believe there's evidence that proves that Sasquatch is a human hybrid which many people from a physical perspective just seem to be unable to handle. So, I think you guys should do an episode on this topic. And I would love to be your heretic of the week if you do that episode. Have a great
1: day, and uh, thanks for the hotline. Bye bye. Mm. Mm. Well, that is a first. I, I don't believe we have received a call from a Bigfoot hunter before. So uh, yeah, points. You get some heresy points there, my friend. Uh, way to go. Um, so, Matt, what do you think? Uh,
2: Bigfoot? Uh, well, I I, th- I thought it was a bold move to invite themselves on as the heretic of the week, but I, li- I like it. I like yeah. boldness. And, and I tell you what, if, um, if yeah, if someone's an expert, I think that'd be cool. Um, I've never really dorked out on it. Like, like Joe Rogan has or something like that. I think yeah. it'd be cool. I loved Harry and the Hendersons back in the day. Um, <laughs> I, I lit- I'm sorry. I literally have no thoughts. Like I, may- maybe there's some ethical or philosophical considerations, but I can't think of many. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I would love to eventually talk about it down the road, but I, I'm not sure what I'd have to say on the, on this one in particular.
1: Yeah. I mean, are we planning, I thought we somewhere down the road, we had planned to do some kind of a series that was going to include like aliens and Bigfoot oh. and the moon landing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Is yeah. like a
1: conspiracy? Are we doing a conspiracy series down the road?
2: Yes. Yes. Our, yeah. uh, my, yeah, the producers in my ear right now. And yes, that has been confirmed and we might as well squash it up. Um, so nice. we, we That's might as well tackle this issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so Jim, uh, you can find us on on dot com. Connect connect with us. Connect with us on Facebook. And um, if you're really an expert, yeah, maybe we'll talk to you and and have you on as our as our Squatch of the Week. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. But but speaking of heretic of the week, I guess um, I guess it's that time. In the show for for that segment,
1: it's the heretic of the- wait, wait, hold on a minute, hold on, wait a minute. You know what, Matt? I, I think we need to we need to be honest with people and let them know we have an even bigger announcement.
2: Well, we have a real announcement that we have a hotline.
1: No, 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 dude, the, even bigger, like way, way more, more amazing and, and incredible.
2: Something that's going to get me out of this funk.
1: Yes, yeah, something that is going to just blow your freaking mind and change your life, and probably our listeners as well. Can can we get a drum roll? Can we get a drum roll? What
2: is it? No, we need a drum roll. It's that big. Okay.
1: Ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we have two new co-hosts of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Not one, but two brand new co-hosts, bringing it a grand total of four co-hosts to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Um, Should I introduce them? Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yes. All right. So we, we couldn't keep it to ourselves any longer. We're so thrilled. Um, we are joined by uh Derek and Katie. So
0: why don't you guys introduce yourselves and tell uh, tell us uh, a little bit about yourselves? Hey everyone, I'll go first. Um, my name is Katie Valentine. I'm your new heretical <laughs> co-host. Wow, that, was, that was lovely. <laughs> the fairy does. As, as it happens, <laughs> I play the harp That's and right. <laughs> which I don't know if I knew that you guys knew. Oh, no, so I that's amazing! I've watched. Hey, you know a lot what? <laughs> I, I, it comes onto Facebook, especially while we're shelter in place, to uh, help keep people entertained. Well, um, I am super thrilled to be here. I'm so jazzed. I was the heretic of the week in episode 72, where we talked all about reincarnation, and lo and behold, reincarnated here, and just really happy to. Be here and deconstruct everything that everyone has ever thought of. Maybe some things we haven't. I have a lot of thoughts about Bigfoot, (laughs) so I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, Bigfoot must have been in the Garden of Eden, right? Right, Of course. And on the ark. He was on the ark too, right? Exactly. Yes. (laughs) At least two of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm a New Testament scholar, so I I love to talk about the Bible and break that down and deconstruct it and reconstruct it and author of a book Sex Slavery and Self Control in a Pauline Community. I'll let people figure out what that's about. And <laughs> Yeah, and I'm thrilled to join other three other heretics.
2: Well, welcome. Derek. Welcome, Katie. Yeah, that's that means it's you, Derek.
4: Hello everybody. I'm Derek Dave. My man. I am a husband, a father, a software engineer, a corporate executive, an author. Mm-hmm. Buy my book, Deconstructing Religion, on Amazon. Yeah,
2: it's not with, cho- yeah, it's not with choir. Hold on now. Hold on. It's not yeah, with choir. Are
1: we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to promote books? Are we allowed to? to? I, don't I, don't know. Know. I don't know. Let me check. Let me check.
0: Oh, oh, my book isn't it. with choir either, dear.
4: <laughs> Shots fired. Well, I have another book coming up. It's called Love Forward Moving Forward at the Speed of Love, and hopefully choir will oh. pick it up. Oh, yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> hey. Um. So anyway, I'm I'm a former pastor, former bishop, and all of that good stuff. And um right now I'm a full-time curmudgeon and I speak fluent profanity. Oh, yeah. oh, well,
2: hold on, hold on. Is there room for both of us on the show? Because I'm the guy who cusses. I, I can't be out cussed on my on, on my own show. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Now now that's how you started off, right? 10 minutes in and we are rolling. (laughs) rolling. Oh, well done, sir. Uh,
1: Well played. Well played. Indeed. (laughs) Awesome. Well, so, you know, I I tell you what, uh, and actually I know Matt and I, we have known for a while, you know, that this was coming and we've just been holding it in and dying. We've been so excited to to announce that Katie and Derek are joining us and excited for what's new for Heritage Happy Hour. 2.0. 2.0. We're so thrilled now we finally get to introduce you uh to everybody. And um and so we thought for our for the first episode of Heretic Happy Hour 2.0 that it would be appropriate for us to tackle a topic um which is probably something that we danced around over the past, you know, however many 70 plus episodes, um, which is penal substitutionary atonement theory. However, we've never actually done an episode dedicated to PSA. And the irony is, is that this is how the Heretic Happy Hour podcast got started. If you don't know the story, basically, before we even knew each other, me and Matt and Jamal, um, we got together and did this little sort of podcast share thing where we did three one-hour podcasts on the topic of PSA. And each one of us hosted one of the parts, one of the three parts on our personal uh, blogs. And uh, it was so much fun, we thought, Hey, what if we did this all the time and then that turned into what became the Heretic Happy Our podcast? So um I think it's appropriate that we should kind of kick off this second phase of the podcast, uh, discussing this very, very important topic, penal substitutionary atonement theory. So, you guys ready?
0: I'm so ready.
2: Yeah. Penal. I'm ready. I I well penal. well, first we should <laughs> he said he said penal. Um <laughs> I I guess I guess we need to uh we need to define what that means right so um should we turn to our 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 resident scholar
0: well yeah because i can tell you what happened about an hour ago as i was talking i was talking with a group and i was like i'm about to go talk about this topic and they were like penal (laughs) substitutionary (laughs) (laughs) I was like no penal i had to spell it out so um that's where we can begin right (laughs) it, right there Yeah, uh, it's just neither neither word is that sexy, you know, <laughs> to me. But yeah, uh, so my my understanding of PSA is that, in a in a nutshell, I'd love to hear what everyone else's impressions are. That God's anger at either humans or at sin was so great, and the word here that we might hear mm-hmm. a lot is wrath. Mm-hmm. The wrath of God was so great that could only be satisfied through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which atoned for like all of the sins of humanity. Um, So in a nutshell, that's Mm. penal (laughs) substitutionary atonement. Um, Have I gotten it right? Uh, There's a lot of details that get factored in and there and a lot of, you know, a lot of trauma and a lot of, um, uh, a, a lot of theological maneuvering right within that. But kind of at its base level, that's yeah, that's how that I was
1: good. Find. I think that's right. I mean, um, it's hard, look, you know, when we discuss something like this, um, a theory that to be honest, I think I think anyway, I'm just gonna go out in a limb and say I think the four of us probably don't have a whole lot of respect for this particular atonement theory. Um. No. But yeah, so But at the same time, I don't want to be too dismissive of of the theory or people that hold the theory, but it's difficult. I'll just be honest. It's hard for me because it's hard for me not to express it the way I hear it, which is kind of like what you said, uh, Katie, except I probably would take it even more in a flippant direction and say, you know, for God so hated the world um, that he sent Jesus to jump in front of the bullet that was intended for us so that after he had murdered his own son, then okay, I can love you guys. That's kind of what you do to me. That's what PSA does to the gospel. And it just makes it nonsensical. Um,
0: yeah. So for a lot of people, <laughs> for a lot of people, this is probably the default, right? Like it's sort of a default theology and a default understanding. Um, and if you listeners have never deconstructed it, you're like, well, yeah, that's the sort of where I came from, but what are other options? I don't know. Is right. that and um, people
1: don't know there's another option. And I think that's, that's what we of, should discuss, right? That, um, you're right. Most Christians assume this is the, there is no other gospel. In fact, in fact, usually this, this is communicated, not as an atonement theory, but as the gospel, the gospel is right. What you just said. And it's, and it's right. not it's the only thing. Der-
2: Derek, yeah. when, when you were a pastor, was it, was it default for you and your churches?
4: No. Um, Basically, in the time that I pastored, it never was the default um it was before I became a pastor um uh, you know basically uh you had to appease this wrathful God or Jesus had to step in and appease this wrathful God to keep us from being uh you know smoked for lack of a better term and honestly <laughs> honestly, I think back I mean as a parent. I've asked myself, <clears throat> do I hold things against my kids? And do my kids owe me anything?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And and when I look at it through that lens, I say, okay, God's better than me. So surely she knows it better. That's right. Well, and 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 isn't
2: isn't that kind of um why there were other options, historically speaking, right? So if we talk about other options when it comes to atonement. Th- this isn't like the default even historically, correct me if I'm wrong. Like there's other, there's there, there's other um, ways of talking about it. Uh, for instance, like Christ's victory over death and sin and the devil, whatever we want to talk about with the devil. But, but yeah, they recognize that this, um, this so i I call it. Archaic sacrificial way of looking at it. Like the gospel was not that. And yep. we can look at our own children. We can look at our love for one another. We can look at Jesus's love for, for others and say that this is not, this is not how the father operates. Cause it's not how I, as a father would operate.
0: Exactly. And so y'all are speaking as pretty, um, integrated parents, I would say, <laughs>
3: I <hope so. laughs>
0: but I do, but I do know people who, I mean, I wonder if this theology kind of takes root because I know people who are, um, maybe, you know, they may, they may love their kids to death, literally um they they may be really uh loving they may have love in their hearts, but they cannot express that in ways that are actually healthy and so then this theology the you know the theology that uh, one person can can take on all this suffering and and sort of save God save people from being smoked as uh, I think Derek said earlier the um that makes a lot of sense if you're actually right. not a good parent no that's, well, the other yeah. thing
4: too you know people. People have this sense of retribution, revenge. That things have to be made right. The yin and the yang, right? So, in in with all the things, all the bad things that humanity does, there there has to be something that can step in and right the ship. Okay, and and all of this is is just a reflection on our own finite humanity. It doesn't look at things from a very uh, from a, a, a global, how can I say, a divine point of view, a divine perspective. It, it, we we want revenge mm-hmm. when when something goes wrong when we're done when we're done wrong somebody had, uh, matter of fact it was Mike Williams as the guy he said this he said that people are not really hung up on Hitler going to heaven that that's not the problem it's their cousin Denise that snapped, stabbed them in the back mm-hmm. you know Denise that bitch. You know, she did that to me. I thought Carol Baskins was that bitch. <laughs>
1: well,
4: <laughs> you know, it, it's always somebody. And yeah. and so we we look at, at Jesus as the guy who steps in and and quenches the wrath of God. And and that's and, and it's absolutely crazy. And I'll get into it a little bit more. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs>
0: Well, it's what, it's what makes a good movie, right? Like if every movie ended with, <laughs> with, oh, and then no one sought revenge and they all worked it out and reconciled, there would be no conflict, right? There'd be sort of no satisfaction. We take a lot of satisfaction and the bad, you know, the bad guy or the good guy in the case of Jesus um, kind of getting, you know, this sort of revenge satisfaction. Yeah.
1: I mean,
4: well, it's like yeah. God the, It is is instead of looking at it as God, the father, they're looking at it as the Godfather. I mean, it you know, Blood is spilled. It's got to be repaid.
1: Damn it. Right. So
0: let's, maybe we can back up um, a little bit and even talk about like, what is atonement?
1: That's, that's a good place. That's a good place to start. Well, and I think this is part of the problem, right? Uh, And this is something like a lot of theologians, like I really appreciate N.T. Wright. He has a book called the day the revolution began, which I think does a really good job, um, you know, kind of tackling this, this question of the atonement and my all time hero David Bentley Hart, you know, he he also has written a lot about this as well, um, and I think this is part of the problem. It's like the the Bible uses language like atonement, um, uses metaphors like people being you know bought from slavery and things like this, right? And and again, these are metaphors, so they're 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 taken to these. Unfortunately, th- this is the bad theology, like PSA, is taking those metaphors to these extremes and applying them in ways that, you know, all metaphors break down. Um, but it, but it, it essentially, right, atonement is this idea that something was broken and wrong in the relationship, right, between us and God, and then something had to happen to fix that, to make it right. Uh, whether that's repaying a debt, whether that's uh, satisfying God's wrath, uh, whether that's purchase, purchasing us, our freedom, our redemption from a slave master or a slaveholder, and who, you know, but, but then again, it's sort of like, who are these people that we're paying and who owes who, what, and when, like, that's when it starts to get really confusing.
2: Yeah. And well, I mean, and it, it makes sense. Like I get, I get why there's, there's PSA. I get why we think of how do we, how are we at one with God? Well, most every, mo, we all think of things transactionally, right? We all think of quid pro quo. If you do this, I get this. Um, or if I do this, you do this, or that, or whatever the case may be. And and on one hand, I get why we do that. This is how most of our relationships tend to be, whether economically, politically, whatever. Um, this is how we've thought of the gods all throughout the, uh, the the history of humanity, as far as we have like written language, and, and we see this playing out with how we view that. But it just seems like if the gospel is going to be different, if it's going to be set apart, if it's going to be good news, not the same old news. It's it penal substitution is just so lacking and and, and setting it apart. Well,
4: here's here's something. I I want to throw this in here. You know, the, the, the question is: if God has an infinite view of time and he sees everything before it happens, and he knows everything before it happens what could we possibly owe him? Mm -hmm. And so where I am theologically now is that we didn't need to be born again. We were born right the first time. And we don't owe God anything because everything was right the first time. I mean, basically, uh, and, and what Jesus came to do, that's a totally different subject for a totally different time. But in the sense of atonement, in my understanding of Scripture, there is nothing to atone for, because it, it, we, we were taught that atonement means to be made at one with, and that was the, the theological cliche, but the reality is we're one with God from the beginning. We're part right. of source from the beginning. There was never any separation, and there was never any fall, and there was never anything wrong that required us to be atoned for or reborn for.
0: Yeah, and so the the theory, you know, I as I was researching there's a lot of different ways to get there that I've that I've seen just on different websites and in different sermons and different experiences. But they all require exactly what Derek just said. Um, they start with the fall, if we believe that there's a fall, which I don't either. And then there's a lot of scripture jumping all over the Old Testament and then into the New Testament to kind of end up with this, like, God is so angry yep. at us that Jesus had to um, assume, like, assume that debt, assume that scapegoat, and be this kind of final sacrifice. Biblical hopscotch, right? Yeah, hmm. yeah, a lot of hopscotching, right? The the fancy word proof texting, but yeah, a lot of hopscotching. But you know what you said? If God knows everything, what is there to atone for? So I actually, I'm not, I'm not convinced that God does know everything. Um, <laughs> that we all, I know, right? <laughs> we we might all be marching and learning together as a, as another kind of view, but still what Derek said makes total sense. You know, if we're all learning together, there's still nothing to atone for.
1: Yeah.
0: Like either, either yeah. viewpoint will. Yeah. Will I would,
1: I would agree with that too. Like what, um, cause I don't know, I, I wouldn't say I know one way or the other, whether I, I mean, I get Derek's perspective. Um, and I used to have that perspective for the longest time as well. I don't know that I do anymore. I'm kind of, kind of wavering on that kind of like with you, Katie.
0: Wait, which per, the the which idea that God knows the end from the
1: beginning, he knows everything in advance, right? Oh, right. Um, on the one hand, on one level philosophically, yeah, I could bind to that. But but neither here nor there, right? Well, I think like you were saying, Katie, like, okay, whether he does or he doesn't, for me, when I'm the more I'm looking at scripture, especially when I read the New Testament, when I read the gospels, here's what I see. And I know I know this isn't gonna help anybody because we're heretics, but okay. <laughs> but what I see is Jesus forgiving people constantly. Before they even ask him for forgiveness, it's just his default position. In fact, not only does he forgive uh, instantly everyone he talks to before the cross, um, he never forgives anyone after the cross. That's what's really weird to me. All the forgiving that he does is before the cross, or even during as he's being crucified. Um, And then the other thing is, so I, so I go, okay, but Jesus says he only does what he sees the Father doing. Okay, what do I see Jesus doing? Forgiving people constantly left and right oh so that must be what the father is doing um when i and then when i read the gospel of john i see jesus saying um you know the father doesn't judge he he, he has left all the judgment to the son and then later on jesus says and i judge no one and then we have you know things like paul saying in second corinthians that god was in christ not counting our sins against us but but reconciling the world to himself like for me the more i read anything about sin in the new testament here's what i come away with that god says i've forgiven it i've forgotten it i've wiped it away i remember it no more it's gone it's not it's not an issue it's not a factor i've dealt with it it's done it's over and so to me that's the whole atonement theory thing just kind of becomes why are we so focused on this like two thousand years later why are we still trying to hammer home this atonement theory thing and deal it's it's like we act as if we're still trying to deal with sin and yet, at the same time, we're saying, here's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. But what it ends up being is, it's the Lamb of God that keeps reminding me of my sinfulness constantly. And that's all he's ever there for, is to remind me what a sinner I am. But that's not what it's about. And that that's what kind of drives me crazy.
2: Well, to to answer your question, to answer the proverbial, must there be scapegoats? Yes, we still need scapegoats. And, and I see, because... <laughs> I'm not sure what that soundbite was. I don't
1: know what that was either. We
2: haven't we haven't fully accepted the power of the cross and, and 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 the proof of that is we still need an us and a them and we need to be the us and those who accept the sa- sacrifice and a them those who don't accept the quote unquote sacrifice. It's just in our human nature. And when we miss we miss I think the power especially in acts. We have this um almost formula that this man you crucified meaning humanity crucified but god raised him up yes this is the trajectory of it. it it it's it's about it's about what we have done to expose not only how we scapegoat each other but how that uh that economy of exchange has nothing to do with divinity it's all projection
0: yes the irony, the, in the Old Testament, the scapegoat actually doesn't ever get sacrificed. That's right. <laughs> it's like right. sent out into the desert. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's it's interesting how how people buy more into the, the prophetic voice of James Brown than they do to Jesus. You know, you better get ready for the big payback.
0: <laughs> Took me a minute there. I like it. I like the yeah, musical reference. I may
4: not know karate, but I know crazy.
1: Well, because, you know, and if we're going to really look hard at those Old Testament images, right? So I, I, I remember having a conversation with somebody about this once, and it was so fascinating because it was like, you know, they're trying to press home the idea of, well, no, this is all rooted in the Old Testament, you know, and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, hold on a minute. Like you just said, Katie, the the scapegoat was actually what they put the sins on, right? The sins were placed on the goat, and the goat was not killed. Was There was no shedding of blood. And the goat just kind of wandered off into the wilderness, and the lamb model—the sort of Passover lamb, the Lamb of God kind of thing—that was never about sin. It wasn't about anyone's sins being forgiven. Like so, there's actually sort of a con- like a uh, a confusion of metaphors, right? That has that it gotten um, kind of confused and, and applied in different ways that I really don't even think the scriptures uh, support.
0: Yeah. Sacre- and right, so sacrifices could be there were sin offering sacrifices, but there were a lot of other kinds as well.
1: Right, but there's also a lot of there's also a yeah. lot of examples. Uh, I don't have them in front of me, unfortunately. But I, I, um, a guy named Santo Calarco actually did a really great study, so I can't take credit for it at all. But but I, I, I uh, he, it was something like seven or eight examples in the scriptures, Old Testament, of where God forgave sins without the shedding of blood, like. That's even Old Testament. Like there's so many mm-hmm. oppor- so many times where God forgave people's sins and there was no shedding of blood. So even then it's not true that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. That isn't the case actually. Well, and I'm I'm reminded David
4: David, who... David was forgiven without shedding of blood. That's right. Was that Derek? Well, it's just dist- I said David was oh, yeah. forgiven without the shedding of blood for his transgression with Bathsheba.
0: Well, I'm reminded right. too of the prophets who talk about they they don't deny the sacrificial system, but they don't prioritize it like Micah you know um that you can you can sacrifice all this, but you can have ten thousand rivers of oil, but actually what I care most about is what's in your heart right. Right. right like God is prioritizing what is inside people's hearts and 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 the- the prophets seem to be constantly critiquing you can't just offer a sacrifice and call it done without doing the inner work like there are people are always being called to do the inner work.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, and and I think that the penal substitution folks wouldn't um wouldn't deny that. I just think then they 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 paint a distorted picture of God and God's anger as if as if we can balance out love and wrath with with simply a transaction or with accepting something. Like I I I don't understand how the two Create this like dichotomy. Um, yeah, I've never understood that. I've never understood how how we can say, well, yeah, we we must balance God's wrath with God's love, and and going back to something Derek said earlier, I, as a father, I I'd I never experienced that. I, I don't I don't pick the justice or wrath card when my daughter messes up, or the love card, you know, when I when I want to. It's all got to be out of this outpouring of love.
1: Yeah. But and
2: certainly God must be better than me.
1: Yeah, but and I agree with that, but like to Katie's point earlier, um there are some families that are also very confused about love and how love is expressed and how fathers treat their children or even mothers treat their it. children, right? Uh, and they're
3: Yeah. So, so
1: that sometimes does get twisted and and maybe even Christianity ends up um you know, in some some screwy way justifying that kind of behavior right like well i love you and the same way god the, you know the god father god loves his son he he chastened him he he disciplined him he you know on the cross he poured out his wrath on him because he loved him um you could I, and i don't know that anyone actually does that but subconsciously i think there are many churches that really hammer home this idea that sort Absolutely. of justify it justifies this corporate punishment uh, at the home level where I'm the parent and this is the way I show love. And if nothing else, it's the way my parents showed love. So I'm going to show you love the same way by beating the living crap out of you.
0: Yeah. And it does. It happens subconsciously, but it does happen really consciously too. And so there's just so many stories I've read and I've been, um, witnessed to on occasion where a woman who's experiencing violence in her home will go to a pastor and say, what should I do? And then the pastor, because of this toxic theology, will say, identify her suffering as, um, co-suffering with Jesus, but not in a healthy liberation theology way. And the pastor will say, or, you know, the, the church culture or wherever the toxic culture will say, well, no, you need to bear the suffering because Jesus bore suffering. And when you do this for the sake of the family, for sake of unity, you're more like Jesus, which is super toxic at its core. Right. But this happens all the time. Um, and so this the the play out in people's real lives you know um, in domestic violence, intimate partner violence, parent child violence um, is really real. I mean it's it's really real. And we know that this happens in churches all the yes. time. So we're promoting it's, this kind of theology. So,
4: oh, classic chicken and the egg uh, theology, right? Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? It, are, are we uh, it, are we living out our lives in God's image, or have we recreated God in our image? And and that's really what it comes down to. It's like people project yeah. what they what they want. And and basically God then becomes an extension of their own psyche. You know, I'm you know, I'm a shitty person, therefore God has to be a shitty person. <laughs> right. And that's I mean, really, that's that's what it
1: comes down to. Yeah. And I'm a shitty person, so God must be the ultimate shitty person.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or I'm so angry at myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, if I'm disgusted with myself and my own actions that I can't admit it. And so, there's this theological framework that lets me um, continue my own behavior without changing.
1: Right. Because God is disgusted with me as well, because my sin is so disgusting and so horrific. And he can't look at it and he can't be around it. And once again, I've screwed up. Yeah. That whole worm theology thing plays into it as well. And and it's, you know, we, I just see it all over the place. You know, it's like we can't escape it, it seems.
4: Um, oh, you know, like this is one that really gets me is like, Christians that are, it, well, first of all, let me frame this with the whole pro-life thing. The whole pro-life thing just really chaps my hide in so many ways. But the the reality is that if you're pro-life, you're pro-life. And if you're not pro, if you're anything else, you're probably just pro-birth, right?
1: <laughs> like
4: capital punishment.
1: Yeah.
4: Capital punishment. We say, okay, somebody commits a really heinous crime and they say this heinous crime requires a heinous penalty. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, this person took the life of someone in such an egregious way that we have to go back and take this life in the same manner. And 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 this just really, if you think about it, it just really destroys the whole pro-life paradigm. Mm -hmm. Because if you're if you're pro-life, you're pro-all life. And and I'll tell you something, I'm just going to throw this out there. You want to be heretical? here you go. People talk about the Bible and abortion is that, you know, God doesn't like abortion. God hates abortion. But guess what? There are more scriptures in the Bible that point to actually causing an abortion yep. than there are prohibiting them.
1: Oh, yeah. Bring it on, buddy. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's actually an Old Testament passage where uh, if you... Numbers su- chapter 5. Yep. Yeah, if you suspect Boy. that your wife is... is um. Uh, is you know having an affair or something, and, the, and that baby she's carrying isn't yours, bring her to the priest. The priest will mix this concoction, make her drink it, and if she, and if she uh, if she drinks it and she is unfaithful and that's not your child, the the baby will be born stillborn. Right, it's basically an abortion will happen. Yep. So go to your priest. Go to your local priest for your abortion. I mean, that's, right. that's what it says.
4: Plan priesthood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
4: Yeah. So, because, sorry.
2: <laughs> so Not sorry. doesn't, doesn't this, doesn't this point us into the direction of if we're going to have a theology of any kind, um, because we've, we've talked about a lot of things. we talk talked about atonement, penal substitution. Now we're getting into the scripture and how it, and how it points towards abortion. Um, d- doesn't this kind of force us into saying we have to look at the fruit of our theology. And whether it bears healthy fruit or whether it bears rotten fruit, does it bring peace and love and joy and kindness, or does it bring uh, racism and slavery and war and genocide and those things? And 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 if we look at penal substitution specifically, and, and there's other theologies, of course, but this one specifically, I think we can make the case that it leads to rotten fruit. It can
4: lead. Uh, who who
2: judges the fruit? Well, I I think I the things that well the Holy Spirit can I use Christianese and the, the things that bring <laughs> peace, peace and love and kindness and empathy and compassion.
1: Right. Yeah.
4: But what if, what if what if peace to you is not the same as peace to someone else? See, and this is where where uh, it, where theology gets very very subjective. Well,
2: of course, theology is uh, I think yeah. entirely subjective. Yeah.
4: Well, I, right. I agree with
1: that. Do you have any examples, Derek, of where some one person's idea of peace is is not the same as another person's idea?
4: This is a, a classic one, right?
1: When when we talk about
4: slavery or or race relations in America, okay, someone's theology may say that is it, that slavery was just a fine institution and Jim Crow was a fine institution, and that uh, uh, unarmed black men being shot down in in the streets. Is is absolutely fine. That gives that hmm. person peace because hmm. they they justify it with their theology. Well, fu- fuck that person. <laughs> even <Well, laughs>
0: well, well, I, I, I,
4: I try to have empathy even for the people who who I think hate me. Okay. Um, yeah. So so the, the thing is, is that I don't want to make a judgment. I really want to understand where they're coming from because I can't even begin to minister something that might bring about a change if I don't first bring understanding to the table.
3: Mm.
0: Well, and on an, even, like, on an even more subtle level, I think there's a lot of people, and I think this theology plays into it, there's a lot of people who they're like, no, no, I don't act. No, of course, I don't want a black man to be shot on the street. I'm not okay with that. But one of the best, you know, one of the best metaphors I've heard is, uh, you didn't build the house, but you live in the house, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of white people out there who are like, no, I didn't create slavery. I didn't create the institution of, um, of racism, but they're benefiting from the house that someone else built them. Right. 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 right? And like, that's part of that toxicity when we don't claim that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, when when we when I see the kind of things <clears throat> like that, the racism and people being killed, and Christians supporting that, and Christian white Christians um, buying into that mentality, it's so depressing, man. It just makes me feel like, gosh, man, we all these hundreds of years, and we have not it feels like we've not made much progress at all. Like, uh, you know, it's this never ending thing of really trying to introduce Christians to Jesus, like, because again. Lots of these things we're talking about are biblical, and that's the problem. They are biblical, and you can flip in your Bible and go, well, the Bible says, the Bible says, yeah, the Bible says a lot of crap, right? You can use the Bible to justify slavery and patriarchy and um, polygamy and you know all kinds of stuff, um, but does that make it Christ-like? And that's the difference, right? Like, like To your point, Matt, um, is the fruit, if we're going to look at the fruit of something, is the fruit of that? Teaching or the fruit of that behavior is it Christ-like?
4: And well, the, the other thing too, Keith, yeah. is the, the, the subjectivity of it, right? Like, for example, I'll use myself as an example. Is I hate coconut. I hate coconut with a passion. I, I am I, so with you. I hate coconut more, uh, uh, probably as much as I hate racism. That's how deep it's <laughs> <laughs> Okay.
0: But wow, that's
4: somebody, one no, of you guys. Racist one of you guys might be completely cool with coconut so so here's the thing the, this coconut is subjectively or you know or in, in your opinion it's a good fruit to me it's of the devil do you see the, what <laughs> yeah, i'm saying I, do.
1: I see what you mean yes
4: but yeah, i
2: think absolutely. when when it comes down to the subjectivity of of loving your enemies of of, get, of 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 turning the other cheek of standing in the face of oppression and and standing firm and not being a doormat, but still um, speaking out against it, but but not bringing violence for violence. That kind of fruit I'm talking about. does that bring. When we talk about peace, are we talking about peace by loving and reconciling with the other? Or are we talking about peace at the expense of another? Right. And see that's yeah, where that's I think.
0: Where,
4: yeah. And, and I get yeah. that.
0: that that's, that's even where the spot. love your enemy can get really tricky, right? Because this right. is like something that in domestic violence situation can be turned against the person who's being abused. Yeah, right. They go to someone and get help. No, no, you need to identify with Jesus as the sufferer. Oh, well, just turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. No, and so that, yeah. like that, even can become twisted. I, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. No, no. Be really no. clear. I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all.
1: No, and that, and you know, that's that is a worthy topic and, and I, maybe we should tackle that down the road, but, uh, but I, I totally agree with you on that. I think um, a lot of the times Jesus' words have been twisted when, when, he, when he was trying to say was to give power back to the woman, which in that society had no power, especially when it came to divorce and things like that. Um, so he was trying to, give, to transfer power back into the hands of women, uh, but instead a lot of those things have been twisted back around to be oh just stay married to this guy even if he beats you because he hasn't cheated on you and and you know Jesus said you know the only grounds for divorce is uh, adultery like no he's abusing you uh he's he's physically abusing you he's verbally abusing you he's emotionally psychologically abusing you and the children you should get out of there and Jesus would be, would tell you to do yeah. that because because the spirit of what Jesus was saying was to to recognize that women were oppressed and to try to give women power um so that they they would have uh, even more, more power than men had in the, in the marriage.
0: Well, you know who funded the early Jesus movement? Single wealthy widows. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. So right there. Um, I do have, uh, just in case listeners are, right, if this is resonating at a deep level with anyone and you feel like you are unsafe or you suspect that maybe you're in a situation that's violent, this can happen to men, this can happen to women, it can happen to absolutely anyone. Or maybe someone that you love is, I do want to give you a number. I don't want you to have to wait until the end of of the show, but maybe we can put it in the show notes too. And this is just a hotline and it's absolutely open to anyone. Um, I have called hotlines before when I didn't know what to do to help someone. So you don't have to be in the situation to use the hotline. But that uh, domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-7233. That's in the United States. Uh, 1-800-799-7233, and a lot of these hotlines, their websites also have text and chat, so you don't even have to call if you're not comfortable with that.
4: Mm. And you know, I want to throw something out here real quick, another personal note, is that uh, when it comes to domestic violence, uh, ladies, gentlemen, you know, friends of all ages, If you're in a domestic violence situation, the best thing for you to do is to get away from it. I'm not going to tell you to try to work it out. And the reason why I say this is that in my own family, uh, domestic violence literally ended up in death. Mm. So with with that being said, uh, there is no reason. And I'm going to tell you this, this whole thing about penal substitutionary atonement and and someone trying to uh, put a wrapper on domestic violence uh, under the auspices of PSA hmm. is absolute bullshit. Hmm. You know, it, listen, if you're in a domestic violence situation get out, Yeah, you know, make like key and peel and get out. <laughs> yeah. We
0: know, we know it's hard. We, it's really, it's incredibly hard when you're in the situation because sometimes right. you don't even know you're in it. And so that's why this number is really good. If you're not sure, call the number. These people are so compassionate. They'll, they'll, they'll be really, really helpful. But you know, what I'm really curious about too are like, what are, what are our, what are our alternatives to PSA? Mm.
2: Yeah. well, There's so many. There's so many. Every every everything else. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> well,
1: there's ransom theory, there's Christus Victor theory. Um what's what's some other ones?
2: Well, I mean, before we even get into that, I will say that there's there's no there's no theory in and and I'm we're not using theory like scientists would. There's no. no theory that that actually talks about the cross in a universal way that just wraps it up with a nice little bow. Right. And, and, and so we can talk about moral influence, um, and which I think is great. Jesus is someone who, whom we can follow. It says this throughout John. Uh, I, I like that. I like that there's this, uh, especially thinking of things in a Girardian way, like, is there someone I cannot get into a rivalry situation with? Oh, great. That's Jesus. He says, follow me. Fantastic. So I like that. Christus victor, Christ's victory over death. If we affirm the resurrection, we don't have to live with this neurotic anxiety of of death. Okay, great, I love that. Um, there is, yeah, the ransom thing. I don't know. We talked about the devil a couple, you know, on a couple episodes back.
1: <laughs> like, I
2: don't know how I feel about all that, but sure, I mean, we can use that sort of language. But but I don't think we can use the PSA language. With any sort of satisfaction, and that's why we—that's why some great theologians have called it divine child abuse. That's why we've right. talked about domestic abuse on this because there is a tie-in. There is relate. There is there is something. It's not like it necessarily causes people to go hit other people. I'm not. I don't think any of us are saying that. Like it's it's literally like oh well Jesus got his ass kicked so I get to kick people's ass. Maybe right. it's not overt <laughs> like that, but there does seem to be a correlative, like what we believe about God matters. Right. And and, no. and if, yeah. if we believe that about God, we might do it to other people.
0: Well, and I, you know, at the high level PSA, you know, at the, at the 30,000 foot view, I'm like, well, it's like, you know, I may not subscribe to it particularly, but okay. What harm is it doing? But when I see the harm, yeah. like, you know, people go, you know, people asking, like, do I have to stay in this? And other people saying, yeah, like, cause Jesus suffered that time. But, I mean that's real harm. So one of my issues with PSA is it's so focused on the cross, and obviously the cross is important. Um, is we have name. Even... <laughs> well, Derek, Derek's going to stop you right there. Okay, Hold on. Uh, okay. Yes, exactly. Another another episode, but uh, it's fired. so focused on the cross and on suffering in a way that the gospels don't even focus that no. much on the suffering of Jesus. Sure. We have not, it doesn't focus on the resurrection. So one thing that I found really interesting and helpful on my journey was um, the work of Rita Nakashima Brock. And she talks about how the she did all this research in the first several hundred years of Christianity, that it wasn't until post-Constantine yep. that the focus of the Eucharist was on the sacrificial yep. Christ. Mm-hmm. And until then, it was on the living Christ, the resurrected Christ. Yes. Mm. So for me, that's a beautiful model. It's the um, it's the defeat of the finite yeah. that is life-giving, not the, yeah, not the atonement.
1: Yeah, in a similar vein, Katie, when I was researching my book, um, Jesus Undefeated, which is about hell, um, I came across this passage about um, the catacombs and how you have hundreds of years, right, of, of Christians in Rome who were burying their dead um under the city in these catacombs um and i mean there's thousands maybe i don't know hundreds of thousands of of um people buried there christians that are buried there and it, it, there's also artwork right so there are drawings and things that were left you know behind in in the graves and things like that and here's what blew my mind that there's not one example of the cross there's no cross right now but what there are are images of jesus as a shepherd there's images of Jesus with the bread and the wine. There's images of Jesus, you know, um, doing the miracle of the fish and the loaves. There, that there's and there's there's images of the resurrection, and so the emphasis was on the life of Christ, the miracles of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, and no crosses. That blew my mind because now it would be
0: like us wearing an electric chair around our necks.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. See, well, that's you know, right. I think yeah. about this. If we if we go
4: back to identity, back to the beginning. You know, in the beginning, God steps out of eternity into nothing and he creates some stuff, right? Well, what is he created from? He only has himself as a raw material. So God is love. Everything, therefore, is made of love. Right. So the 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 key then, if you look at Jesus as our example, as our paradigm, he's showing us that we are love, that we that we are begotten of love, and that we are of the substance of love and that we are to reflect this love. And that when we do this, that the miraculous happens. And so that's why I was saying when Katie uh, said the cross is important. Now, again, this is me, just me, me personally. (laughs) I don't believe that the cross is important. I believe that you could put crime scene tape around the cross and you could pretty much sum it up there, right? It's the scene of a homicide.
1: The opinions expressed story. by some of the hosts on this <laughs> podcast do not reflect those of the Heritage <laughs> Happy Hour podcast or its subsidiaries. Can can I
2: can I agree what? and disagree and say that it's not, it's not important in the way some people say it's important? But maybe yeah. it's just what, one of those little reminders that, you know what, when you don't remember your identity, when you treat each other as other, this is what happens. And this is just, yeah. I mean, so maybe we don't swing the pendulum one way or the other too far and we say, well, this is just a nice little friendly reminder that when you fuck it up this bad, you kill God and, yeah. and, and and God still loves you. And but when we and we live in that identity, but let's not forget that. And here's the reminder.
1: Right. Can I tell a joke? Can I tell a joke
4: right here? <laughs> this, is perfect time. I, I re- this
1: is the perfect time for a joke.
4: Let's do it. <laughs> I, I, listen, so there's this there's this kid and he's, you know, he's screwing it up royally in school. So his parents take him out of public school and they put him in private school. And all of a sudden his grades shoot up, his, especially his math. And so they ask him, they say, well, Johnny, why are you doing so much better? Is it because you have more one-on-one instruction? And Johnny says, no, uh, no, that's not, is it better books? Is it better instruction? No, no, no. And, uh, well, what is it? And Johnny said, when I saw that guy nailed to the plus sign above the chalkboard, I knew they meant business about this shit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh. It's hard to follow that, but I'm going to try. That was funny. So <laughs> the, when we talk about, though, the the cross, when we talk about wrath, the word wrath, I think, is too old-fashioned, and it doesn't quite capture, I think, what the Greek meant. I think anger is a better word. It talks about God's anger. I don't actually have a problem with God being angry. I just don't think God's angry at me. Right. Right? So, but God... Well, how be uh, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> how but right, like... But uh, as Matt was saying, right, so when I, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with thinking that God is angry at systems of injustice, right, right about right. racial, uh, lack of racial, racial reconciliation, about, you know, white people not caring if black people are shot in the street about domestic violence. I have no problem with God being uh, really angry at that, with God being angry at a system that could, you know, right, nail someone to a to a crucifix, nail many someones to a crucifix in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's like a helpful way to think about God's anger, because that I can participate in. I can do something about that in the world. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, de- I definitely don't. Yeah. I, I, there's, there's some of these like sort of, I don't even know what they're called, fluff, pop, theologian types out there who God's never angry at anything. It's like, Oh, so he's not, he's not angry when a, when a black guy goes running and jogging and doing the thing that he loves and, and some white folks kill him. God, God's not angry about that. I'm like, I, I, I don't know that God, because I think God is angry at that. And the, and the, and the, systems know, I, that I don't lead think that. he's angry. You don't,
4: I think he's disappointed.
1: Yeah. Oh, I think that's he's even worse, right? Because,
4: As the old adage you know, is. Well, Well, you know, it's like he's saddened by it and and he's saddened by it because we don't exercise the dominion that he gave us to fix the problem, you know, but if, if God were angry and I honestly, you know, we, we talk about like the Hulk and Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner says, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Listen, if, if Bruce Banner can, you know, can get ill like that, then God really can, you know, go off the the deep end. So the anger of God, I don't think is being kindled by any of this, but I think that he's sorely you know, disappointed and maybe even a little disgusted.
0: Well, we're only disappointed when we have expectations. That's
1: right. Yeah.
0: Right. That's what produces uh, that what's that's what produces disappointment. And I don't I don't have a problem believing that God has some expectations for humanity. Um I just don't think that the wrath, you know Yeah that, that I, go, I want to go in a different direction than um PSA because that's like the never ending loop yeah. of uh, violence violet
1: here. Yeah. I agree. I, I think um I think that word wrath has been totally taken, well, not only, not only is it taken out of context, I think even in the way it's used, I think it's a misunderstanding. Because um, most of the time when you see in the Old Testament, for example, when they talk about the wrath of God, it's usually, um, I, I think it's just a very primitive way to try to explain and understand something. Oh, this these locusts came and ate our crops and now no one has any food. Well, why? Oh, it must be that God is angry. It's the wrath of God. Is it really that God was angry or is it, this is the best way they had to understand because something bad happened. Oh, it must be because God was angry. Right. Um, so that I kind of, I kind of lean more like what Derek is saying. I really don't think God is wrathful. I, I think God is love. I agree with Derek. I think God is love. I think when we look at the, for example, the fruits of the spirit, right. What does that come from? These are the attributes of God expressed by the spirit of God. And what are those attributes? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, so, and wrath, but not, but not wrath. Damn it! And, no, and so wrath is not part of his character, right? Um, and I, I just got to read this because I, I looked this up before the show, and I love this quote. I, I mentioned David Bentley Hart a minute ago, and I found this quote from him about uh, penal substitutionary atonement theory, and he says the reformed language of Jesus dying on the cross under the wrath of judgment, the wrath and judgment of God. I take to be a disastrous confusion of fragments of completely unrelated passages of scripture, as well as a rather blasphemous misre- misrepresentation of the nature of God and of his action in Christ. Amen. So, yes. There you no, go. no one, no
2: yeah, one, no absolutely. one puts it better than David Bentley Hart. I mean, he can be the most scathing, um, polemicist out there and I love him for yeah. it.
0: <laughs> Me too. I love him. The, the, there's an irony here though. We're talking about the fruits of the spirit, mm-hmm. you know, which are mentioned in Galatians. You know who the main New Testament author is who talks about wrath is, of course, Paul. Um, but what I want to point out is that the wrath, the anger, I think it's really anger. The anger language in Paul isn't directed so much at individuals, because one of the ways this gets really toxic is that, like, we always feel personally responsible for Jesus' death. Right. Right. Like, like God is so mad at me, and I caused this, and right, so it's in this weird, weird, like never-ending um toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. We nailed but, it to the
4: plus sign.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But the um so Paul talks about this and the book of Revelation. And other than that, I not so much. So one of the ways I see this is Jesus dies on the cross. I think that's just indisputable historical fact. Like the Paul, our earliest New Testament writer, says over and over again, Christ crucified, Christ crucified, Christ crucified. But it was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing for the early Christians. So they all have to figure out why in the world did this happen. And so we get Paul and atonement, but I think the gospels tell a different story about why Jesus died on the cross. So I love it that in the New Testament, I believe we have, and in the early church, we have a multiplicity of opinions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. About why Jesus had to die. So to me, that's super cool. Atonement's it's one of them, but not the only one.
1: Right. But did he? Did he have did to he die? Have did he... to? Oh, I don't think he had to. Well, they're
0: all explaining why he died.
1: Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Because that's another question. Thank you. That's, another,
0: Thank you. that's, another, episode, <laughs> that's another episode. Did he
1: have to die? And that is a great question. It's, um, yeah, but, but, that would be fun.
4: Yeah. It'd
0: be fun to talk about
1: down the road.
4: Yeah. Katie's stimulating all this really deep intellectual thought in my head right now. It's like, it's, it's it's painful.
0: I'll make a PowerPoint.
4: Oh, good. (laughs) This isn't a, this isn't a
2: video podcast, Katie. I'm sorry. That's not going to (laughs) work. Yeah. I, 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 don't know. I, um, I, I think for as, for as much as I love Paul, I think some of the time sometimes we can read some stuff in Paul that, that, gets twisted as well and and I don't know Katie, if you're familiar with Doug Campbell and with scholars who have the apocalyptic view of how to read Paul, I think a lot of the wrath language is really Paul just using that against the people he's arguing with kind of like right. kind of like how Colbert plays the part of a staunchly conservative Republican commentator in the Colbert report. Um, so I, I I'd be I would be personally hesitant to say that Paul fucks it up as much as some people um like to think he does but that's just me.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I'm uh, I'm one of those feminist New Testament scholars who actually really likes Paul. Like oh, I that's my research. It's right. actually on Paul. So, well, but yeah. but he's not he's but we're essentially we're reading other people's mail. Like right. we're right. reading an insider yeah. conversation and we're not privy to all parts of it. So that's what makes it fun and tricky and also potentially toxic. Right. Totally. Well,
1: and again, that's also another topic because like from I, I also kind of like Paul. But, uh, and I also don't, I think Paul gets a bad rap when it comes to women, because I think most of the passages that are anti-women are either misunderstandings of what Paul's actually saying, sometimes on purpose because the translations are bad, or other times it's just flat out, you're reading a letter not written by Paul. Now, I'm going to
4: say this just so that I could be really heretical. I got issues with Paul.
0: Oh, I got
4: issues. I, don't, I When you have more than one issue, you have a, a subscription, and I've got a
2: <laughs> call. Paul. Paul doesn't give a shit.
4: <laughs> and that's 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 fodder for another episode. Yeah, I mean, really. It, well, let me. Can I sum this up by just saying I'll, I'll throw this out here just so that uh, I can really like piss somebody off? But fuck Paul.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh man. Woo! Yeah. We need we need to have a we need to have a, a, a like in defense of sympathy for Paul episode.
4: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and with that, or maybe a come to Jesus moment for Darren. Yeah, I don't know. Right. whichever comes
0: first. No, speak your you know what? Speak your truth. It's only by like expressing our anger at the at either the the historical figure. No problem. No problem. There, he's a person. He was flawed, made mistakes, yep. sinned. Yep. Um, and at the ways the texts have been used, which you know, Paul is gonna just take the cake with the cherry on top about um a, you know, abusive uses of scripture for toxic purposes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, why why not say fuck you, Paul? That's fine. Paul's there's no lightning bolt has come down. We're all okay. That's right. Yep. It's only by talking about it that we can um, you know see what's next.
1: Yeah.
2: The lightning bolt is coming in the next life, Katie. Haven't you read your Bible?
0: Well, I got to go back and listen to my episode. Oh, yeah, true.
2: Great great plug for reincarnation. But
3: uh, yes, yes, great
2: conversation. I enjoyed it. I wanted to keep it going, but we're going to have to shut this thing down soon. But I first want to leave our listeners with a reminder that we have a website. It's com. Please bookmark that because you're going to get updates on new episodes. You're going to be able to browse our store. We have shirts, sweatshirts, We've got mugs. We've got pillows even that are hilarious. Make sure you check those out Heretichappyhour.com.
0: Cool. I would love to tell you all about our Facebook groups. First of all, if you're not part of Heresy After Hours, come and join. It's absolutely for anyone. Free group. It's connected to the podcast and people post fantastic memes, pictures, jokes, and articles on there. So if you're not on that In that Facebook group, you're missing out. But we also have a group for Patreons only. And so if you're not supporting us on Patreon, we would uh, ask you to consider that for as little as $2 a month. And then you get access to a private group that all the co-hosts are in. And we can have conversations with you and tell you everything that's going on behind the scenes and what's on our minds. So we would love to see you in there. Once you subscribe on Patreon and give your donation, then we can add you to the group.
1: Yep, that's right. And you know what? If you can't get enough of the Heritage Cabrera podcast, and I know, I I I feel your pain. I know. It's so good, and you don't want it to end. And guess what? For as little as $2 a month, I mean, come on, $2 a month. Do you have enough change under your probably your car seat, right? $2 a month, you can do it. I believe in you. And for $2 a month or more, if you're so inclined, you unlock so much awesome stuff. I'm talking bonus content, bonus interviews with our amazing Heretics of the Week, um, other just cool stuff, funny stuff, great stuff. And as Katie mentioned, you get exclusive access to the Heretic Happy Hour Facebook group. So please join us at patreon.com slash Heretic Happy Hour, and we'll see you there.
4: And you want to make sure that you go out to iTunes and give this podcast the highest possible rating that you can give it. Five stars, six stars, seven stars—I don't care how many stars—and give it, give it until you see stars. <laughs> but rate this podcast highly because these people really pour out their hearts, minds, and souls into this for your benefit. Mm. So
2: rate right. it highly. Cheers! No, come get No one-star reviews, please. Come on now.
1: No, no. Good stuff, guys. Hey, we did it! Our first episode. Uh-huh. First episode.
2: Yes.
1: Woohoo! <laughs>